0: church uh, where we were taking part in that special service we had a little bit of car trouble nothing significant uh, just an ongoing problem with the engine that has happened periodically and as I was driving I, I, I began to feel this problem recurring again that's it, happened in the past and I said it seems like that's that problem happening again it's starting to run rough and as I'm thinking that and processing it, it's like, is it my imagination? Is it, you know, is it really running rough? The check engine light popped up and the little blinking light pops up and I go, okay, yeah, there, there is a problem. It's proof right there in front of me with these lights. It's not my imagination. And that's encouraging because now I know I can go about finding a solution. And we did, we took it to the shop and got it all fixed. But as we return to the letter of James... So we're looking at chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, the letter of James. We come to one of the most provocative passages, definitely in James, maybe in the New Testament, maybe in all of Scripture in a lot of ways. James gets our attention by speaking in a surprising way about faith. And I hope as we look at this passage, that you get the same feeling I did with my car, not only as you think about this passage, but more so even as you consider James' objective, which is to get our attention. For us to say, you know, I think there is a problem. And as James speaks, it's kind of that light on the dashboard blinking that we would check the engine. And for Christians, you know, the engine is our faith that all that we do is driven by that and if it's not there's a bigger problem and so as we look here at God's word would you read with me in James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26 and recognize what he's saying listen carefully and you will live confidently read with me James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26 of God's holy, inspired, infallible, life-giving Word. James 2.14 What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is God's word. Father, would you bless our hearts, our ears, our eyes, our attention? As we look at your word, meet us here, transform us, give us hope and encouragement and comfort and exhortation and what each one of us most needs today. As we come to your word in faith, grow us up in our faith, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Three times in what we just read, James says, justified by works, including one time when he says in verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. To say that has been a controversial verse in the history of the church is to make a huge understatement. Many, many pages have been written on this topic and the apparent conflict between what Paul teaches and what James teaches and what, in fact, most of the New Testament seems to say and how it conflicts with what James says, so much so that Martin Luther wasn't sure that James even belonged in the Bible. That's the depth of the problem that he saw. And the question is, is James contradicting the rest of the New Testament, especially Paul, When Paul says in Romans 3.28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We don't have time to really get into it. And I don't think it does justice to the passage to really spend a lot of time on the nuances of the issue. But it does raise this question, what is going on? And the short answer is, James is getting your attention. Mission accomplished for 2,000 years of church history. He has gotten our attention with what he says here. And I hope he's gotten your attention today. He wants to get our attention so that we will listen carefully. Because he wants us to live confidently. Faith is so important. And James understands that. James, in fact, is orthodox and lines up with the rest of the New Testament, including Paul, in his understanding. If you look at James chapter 2, verses 1 and verse 5, he started off this chapter speaking of those whose faith is in Jesus. He started off in chapter 1 of the whole book saying, remember, the testing of your faith produces endurance. He closes the book talking about the righteous prayer of faith that accomplishes things. James is very much in line with the rest of the New Testament, with all of Scripture, with Paul. He doesn't have a wrong view of faith. James' concern, the way he is speaking, why he is speaking this way is that he's concerned you have a wrong view of faith. He's concerned that I do. He's concerned that there are people in the fellowship of God's people who don't really understand what faith is, who don't in fact have faith a living faith, but in fact have a dead faith that produces no works. And that is James' emphasis, to put it real shortly. James is concerned about dead faith. Paul, when he writes, was concerned about dead works. They're two sides of the same coin. And James is saying, you really need to understand what faith is what faith is all about, what it means, and what it looks like. It is like the check engine light on my dashboard. James is saying basically there's a problem. And maybe, you, maybe you've noticed it in your life that there's something running a little rough. And you're like, I'm not sure if there's really something wrong, but there's just, I have this nagging sense that, that the life, my life's not running smoothly. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but something isn't right. Maybe you feel those little doubts about whether you're right with God. Maybe, maybe you wonder how you could pay Him back for all the good that He has done and for His good gifts to you. Maybe, maybe you have the sense that, you know, in the end, God is just going to say, yeah, you still don't measure up. And so you can't be with me forever. Depart from me. This is a, such a crucial issue that James highlights it being provocative with his expressions here. And you especially need to hear this if your faith tends to center on facts. If your listening makes little difference in your living. If Sunday morning you is very different than Thursday night or Friday night you. You. if you just have this nagging sense or you lack assurance, James is speaking to you. God is speaking to you today through these words. As one commentator put it, saving faith results in a distinctive life. That's James' whole point here. Saving faith always produces works. It makes you different. It makes you a difference maker, in fact. James brings this truth out with two pairs of illustrations. There's a positive and a negative illustration uh, horizontally, talking about human interactions. And there's a positive and a negative illustration talking vertically about the God direction. And so that's what we're going to do as we unpack this. What's it look like? What is saving faith? It, it boils down to first of all this, this horizontal thing where you do good for others. If you have saving faith, a true and living faith, you do good for others. And you do more than you say. You do more than you say. Look at verse 14, or look at verse 15 again. This is the negative example uh, on the horizontal direction. The negative example here is how we handle a hungry brother or sister. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet, do not give them what is necessary, what is fitting, what is appropriate for their body, what use is it? It provides no advantage to them there is no use if you merely say what you do not do your faith is not alive it is dead verse 17 even so if it has no works faith is dead being by itself you could almost translate as by definition if faith has no works, it is dead. Such a faith is a mere profession, not a possession. It's not the faith that does good for others, much less saves you. Verse 14, what use is it if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? And this is a distinction that James has in mind that he is speaking about faith not saving faith you can have a faith that does no works but that is not saving faith that is not a living faith that is dead faith it is a mere profession not the possession it's of little value in fact it's exceedingly harmful to walk through life thinking you're okay with God, that you have faith that will bring you through to eternity safely when you don't have it. It's part of why, uh, if, if you're interested in being a part of the Crossroads Community Church family we have an interview for members with a couple of elders. And we just mostly want to hear what's your faith like? Do you have a living faith? What difference, in other words, does your belief in Jesus make in your day-to-day life? How are you encouraged? And very often, very often people are surprised when they stop and think about it about the little things that are different in their lives that that the elders get really excited about. Simple things like you pray, you know? Simple things like you forgive. Simple things like you're concerned enough about your walk with Jesus that you're willing to be a part of a congregation and willing to submit yourself to the oversight of elders in a church body. Those are, those, are, those are signs that God is at work, that your faith is genuine. You don't need to th- throw yourself off into the mission field necessarily and face uh, head-hunting cannibals. You don't need to go into full-time ministry and quit your job and do all those kinds of things to demonstrate that your faith is real. God will call some people to do those things. But the evidence of your faith is that you do good for others. That you do more than you say. You're not just talk, talk, talk. There's evidence that you not only do more than you say, but you also give in a costly way. Look at at verse 25 and 26. This is the positive illustration in the horizontal direction of doing good for others. You give in a costly way. Verse 25 In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Do you remember Rahab? uh, She lived in Jericho at the time when God's people were now about to go in and take the promised land that God had, had given to them. They crossed over the Jordan, and they're right at the Jordan there, and uh, Joshua sends some spies to, to check out Jericho. I think they were still on the other side of the Jordan. Sent some spies to check out the land, and they come to this woman, Rahab, a harlot, a, a prostitute, we would say, and She hid them. She she betrayed the ruler of Jericho out of a greater allegiance to the ruler of the universe. She believed that God was who He said He was, that God would do what He said He would do. And she acted in a costly way one commentator says she exercised costly compassion she faced death for hiding these spies and allowing them safety for the night and then they could sneak out the next day if you have a living faith you give in costly ways You're at least willing to. Notice, in fact, that other than probably some mental anxiety and stress, Rahab doesn't suffer very much as a result. In fact, it goes really well for her. The whole city of Jericho is destroyed. Everyone is killed except Rahab and her family. Because she trusted God. Now, it doesn't necessarily go like that all the time, right? We, we Missionaries go out, and they trust in the Lord, and they become martyrs. You go out and you share the faith, and sometimes you, you are verbally abused, maybe physically abused. These things happen. What James is saying, though, is that a living faith gives in a Sacrificial way, in a costly way, there is a willingness. There's a a priority that goes beyond just self interest. Jesus said, "Love your neighbor as yourself." You, you you don't you don't not take care of yourself, but you give sacrificially. The, the, you know, if you if you want to know how much to give financially, one of the easy answers to say. Give until you feel it and give a little bit more. And what does that mean?, well, it, you know, Scripture seems to indicate 10 percent is a profound and significant number, and sometimes we act like that. We're dying to try to give. I can't live without. What, what is it that you can't live without? Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's just your time. Maybe it's uh, some other resource you have. You know, I can't live without it. It's possible that you can't. It's also possible That that's that's ex- exposing a weakness in your faith. If you, if you are trying to live in a way that you get everything you want and you still have this confidence in God, you're, you're never going to find it. The place does not exist. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. That's the issue underlying this. To say, what is my fundamental allegiance? Is my faith in my funds or in my Father? Is my faith in the amount of time and energy that I can control and the tasks that I feel really good about? Or is it in God? And that leads us to, to not only give in the costly way and do more than we say, doing good for others, but it leads us even deeper here to the next point where James says, not only does a living faith do good for others, but it it brings glory to God. A living faith will bring glory to God. And that has an interesting result. First of all, you have peace more than fear. You have peace more than fear. Here's the negative example in the up and down direction in the vertical direction the negative example is the demons look at verse 18 someone may well say you have faith and i have works and and how you how you divide up this quotation is 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 very hard there's there's a really it's it, it's very challenging to get this translated well and to really understand what James point is there's there's a bunch of different options and none of them leave you really well satisfied. I take it that James is saying, someone, this is a way of arguing in James' day, you, you, you introduce someone who says, oh, well, you might say. You read Paul's letters, he does the same thing. Someone will say, well, you have faith, and I have works. Show your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He he's introducing someone who's kind of on his side, right? And kind of trying to divide also faith and works. James' whole point is you can't have just faith without works. You can't actually show your faith without works. You will show your faith by works. And he makes the comparison to the demons. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. That's a reference to Deuteronomy 4. A very common and early profession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, sorry, not 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what he's referencing. But then what does it go on to say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Jesus quotes that and then he adds and you love your neighbors yourself. But in Deuteronomy 6, the profession of faith of God's people of old was that God was one and that they would love Him with all their being. And he says you believe God is one. That's great. Demons believe that and shudder. Demons know God in a way that you, you and I don't. They experience power in the spiritual realm in ways that we, we don't. But it doesn't make a difference in their day-to-day lives. They don't love the Lord their God with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. They know He exists and they rebel Him and they live with this fear day in and day out. They don't live for God. They live in fear. They have an intellectual faith. They have an understanding in their heads that does not reach their hearts. Because if it reached their hearts, they would live differently. If if you have a faith in Jesus, a faith in God that is merely facts about God, that does not grip your heart, that does not have you saying, I love God, then you're going to live in fear. Because if you understand who God is, that He is just and holy and righteous, if you understand that about God, you can't help but fear knowing anything about yourself as every other human being, that you have fallen short, that you have sinned against that God. And since you're created in his image, you know you should do better, you should be better, and you're not. And so if all of you know is if all you know is those facts, and there is no heart connection with God, you're gonna live in fear, and it's gonna be a proper fear. Well, what are you going to do with it? What do you do? Will you live irrationally as the demons? Which all sin is irrational, by the way. The demons' actions make no sense. If they really knew God, why are they not believing and trusting Him? That's the way sin is, right? You, you need rescue. It's foolishness. That's what he says here in verse 20. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You, you, you can't... Say you have a living faith if it's not resulting in works. And you'll find yourself very much marked by anxiety, fear, dread, lack of assurance. Whereas Paul says in Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's saving faith. That that relativizes the things that we fear in this world that speaks to the justice of God and says, you know what? That's resolved. Because this same God who is just is also merciful. This same God who's justly angry and wrathful about your sin, has provided the way for you to be right with Him and have peace by sending His Son to live perfectly yet die sacrificially for you. To bear your sin and your guilt and your shame on the cross, the full wrath of God totally satisfied in Jesus. And He rose again and sends His Spirit. And all you have to do to receive that is to believe those facts. And if God is working in your heart as you believe those things, you will have a peace that passes understanding. Now, it doesn't mean 24-7, joy, 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 joy down in my heart, right? Right? You're not always going to be so happy, so very happy. It's a fine song, the the message is fine, but the, the reality is that life is hard. There is pain, there is suffering, there is brokenness, there's injustice, there are wounds that we experience. So your faith does not minimize those, but you go back to what James says at the beginning, right? The testing of your faith produces Endurance, that it might have its perfect work. Do you, do you see how he's lining up with exactly what he said when he speaks of Abraham, whose faith put into practice was hard. Exceedingly hard. Look, you not only have peace, but you show this faithfulness. You are faithful to your friend. Or you could say, to your father. Verse 21. The positive example is Abraham, the father of faith. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? His faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, his faith was perfected. James is playing with words a little bit there. In a sense saying, Abraham's faith was vindicated. Abraham's faith was demonstrated. Abraham's faith was proven to be real when he was willing to offer up his son Isaac, the one God had said was the promise. Abraham said, I will trust God in this. And if you go back and read Genesis 22, you see Abraham and, and Isaac, and they have this, the wood for the sacrifice, they have the fire. He's got his servants and his servants... Are there up the mountain a bit, and he says, We're gonna go over there and worship, and we're gonna come back. The whole time he's intending to sacrifice Isaac because God had said, This is what I want from you. And Abraham, as Hebrews says, Considered that God was able to even raise the dead because God's not going to contradict himself and kill Isaac and void his own promises that God would be faithful. And so Abram says, I will be faithful. God, I consider you above all else. It comes to this issue. Verse 23 of James chapter 2. The Scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of of God. You know, really, this is what it boils down to. What is your heart relationship to God? You know, there's a lot of uh, parenting mistakes that get attributed to, you know, trying to be friends with your kids rather than the authority in their lives. And I think what what we mess up with as we just go to extremes and say you got to be all authority or you just you know give all your kids what everything they want is the reality that you know what, what we're trying to be is God we're trying to model who God is and he is able to both exercise authority and justice with mercy and compassion and what we saw last week what that mercy triumphs over judgment that this God is a God of grace who would not only exercise authority over us, but would welcome us as His friend. That we would have this tension between drawing too near and missing the boundary versus coldly obeying without love. God is a friend. This is a word of affection. Or another. James uses it in chapter 4, verse 4. When he says it's basically the opposite of being an enemy. James 4, 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship, that's a related word, with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend, same word, of the world makes himself an enemy of God god this is this is the the fundamental issue this is the definition of faith that you are either a friend of god or an enemy of god that you cannot serve and be friendly with the world and at the same time claim to have faith in god You can't serve God and mammon at once. What is your fundamental heart allegiance? Are you trusting this God or are you trusting in something else? Your conscience is not going to rest until you reconcile that. Which doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Abraham was not perfect. Read through the Scriptures. He was by no means perfect. He was forgiven. Peter was by no means perfect. We'll see that again in a couple weeks in Good Friday as we look through the story of his adamant claim. I'm not going to deny you. I will die before I deny you, Jesus. And what happens? Before the rooster crows, he denies Jesus three times at the scary presence of a little servant girl. He's forgiven. The beauty of that story is Jesus pursued him. Jesus draws near to him. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus gives him a task and a purpose evidencing, Peter, you're still mine. Peter, I forgive this sin too. And Peter's love grows. If you have been forgiven much, if you understand just how broken you are, do you understand how much Christ has done for you on the cross, It empowers you to forgive others. It empowers you to move out for Him. And if you keep in mind the reality that you are forgiven, that you're not doing that in your own strength, that it is by God's grace, as you enter into the works He's calling you to do, you will find peace. It'll be hard. It'll be challenging. But you'll have a a satisfaction, a contentment, even when you fail you can carry on. You can attempt to make it right. You can ask forgiveness. You can keep moving forward because you recognize that ultimately, it's not about you. It's about God. The object of your faith is Jesus. That you are connected to Him in a a living union. You're united with Him. And that changes the way your engine works on the inside. That you cannot put your faith in Jesus without being transformed on the inside. You can offer up, as the illustration goes, you, know, you can offer up your keys and your travel mercy. You can, you can offer up you know, your finances. You can offer up your health and everything. And you can say, Jesus, I, could You do something about those things for me, Jesus? Could you work on those for me, Jesus? But the only time that you're actually going to have a living faith that makes a big difference in your world, that makes you a difference maker, is if you transfer your trust to Jesus. That you say, you know what, all these things, Jesus, I need from you, but I need, I need you too. And you rest and you receive Christ alone. You give up your own efforts. You give up your own reputation, you give up all of your resources from the bottom of your heart, and you lay it all on his throne and say, Jesus, I I give it all to you. And man, there, there is an energy, there is a peace, there is a hope and a confidence that comes in that place. They will come nowhere else. And it doesn't mean you live there perfectly We fall out of the chair sometimes, but not all the way because He's the one holding us. And really the transformation is in our hearts. But it bears fruit in our lives that we would bring glory to God. We would do good to others that we would have a living faith. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray for those who are lacking assurance, who are so aware of their own sin and brokenness, but deficient in their understanding of Your grace. That You give greater grace. That You are not only the authority and the just one, but You are the gracious and merciful one. Encourage their hearts, Lord. I pray for those Who are plagued by guilt. Who are weighed down by shame. Set them free as they look to You, Jesus. I pray for a stronger and more certain faith for each of us, Lord, that would be resting more completely, more wholeheartedly in You, Jesus, and that we would find from that place the energy and the life flowing through us that we would be so rooted in You that the sap even in the trees around us as it's starting to flow and putting forth buds, that the sap, the living, life-giving Spirit of God would so work in us that we, we can't help but move, yet we still in our hearts remain resting in Jesus. That we are bold in our witness, and yet, Lord, resting in You. That we are active in our ministries and engaging with the world and doing for good for others At the same time, bringing You glory. Because You're at work in us. And we pray You would do just that. Until that day comes when we feast with You. When we enter into our rest. And when we are never separated from You again, Lord Jesus, we pray in Your precious name. Amen.